Oh, it's so good to be back. Been out of the pulpit a couple of weeks. My name is Brad Jackson, lead pastor here, and we are excited to have each one of you here as we're continuing this Fruit of the, uh, the Spirit series. Let me pray. Jesus, as we open your word, we trust that your spirit speaks life. God, I, I know as I look out across the room that there are folks in all different places of the spiritual journey. Wondering if you exist, doubting your reality, fully trusting you. And then there's life circumstances, God. There's pain, there's struggle, there's sin, there's turmoil. And we bring all of that into this room and we bring it to you, to the foot of the cross. And trust that you will speak words of life. To those who need comfort in this morning, Lord, I pray that you would comfort to those of us who need to be convict, convicted. God, I pray that you would make us uncomfortable. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we are in a series that uh, basically through the summer here and there, we're going to have a couple different uh, guest speakers in, but we are going to look at the fruit, not fruits, the fruit of the Spirit. Yesterday, I was up in Farmington trying to avoid rain, storms coming through, but we got in the first day of Genesis's softball tournament. I was sitting there looking around, and Softball tournament for 10U girls is a great time to look at people and judge people, right? And so I was looking around at the stands and thinking, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, most of these parents want core character realities like the fruit of the Spirit to be true in their kids. And I think probably more so than them being the best athlete. Now, if they're the best athlete and they have great, you know, sort of core character realities, win-win for everybody, Right? But looking around, it hit me. I really think they do. And then I had this interaction during one of the rain delays. I ran to my car, had the window open, rain wasn't coming in. And I was looking out at this dad and his daughter, and they were running towards the school to get under this awning. And the dad was just giving it to his daughter. She had spit on the ground. And he was letting her know in uh, not the kindest of ways that that is not what she did. And they were going at it. And naturally, I had to keep my window open because I wanted to learn how to parent really well. Because I never do that. Um, and then they're sitting there, and then the wife and the other kid come up, and they, the, the dad just would not stop giving it to everyone in the family. You know, the, the wife said something. It seemed really nice, but he gave it to her. Well, you should have given me the keys. I'm just like, whoa, this is intense. And every part of me is judging this guy, thinking, I am not like that. And then I remembered line in the first chapter of N.T. Wright's book, Evil and the Justice of God, where he talks about the fact that the very line of evil that we see out there in systemic places and in the family when we have the window open that is arguing and yelling at each other, the very line of evil that we see out there runs through each one of us, right? And that's the tension of walking into a series like The Fruit of the Spirit is we want it, we want our core character to be that way, but at the same time, we have this daily, if not hourly, battle with the flesh, battle with our desires for what we might want. So what we hit a couple of weeks ago is this. In Galatians, Paul makes this point that the life of faith in the risen Jesus and the dependence on the Spirit so if you're new to the whole church thing, what happens is when you trust Jesus for forgiveness, for life, when you bring him into your life as your leader, when that happens, God comes to live inside of you, and we call that the Holy Spirit. It's one of the great mysteries of the faith. 
And what happens is as we depend on that life of God inside of us, God begins to make things like the fruit of the Spirit anew in us as we live out that life of faith. So Paul in Galatia is dealing with people who come from a Jewish background and people who come from a pagan background. And what he's saying to them is this. He's saying that for those of you who have come up under the condemnation of the law, the law, because of what Jesus has done, can no longer condemn you. And for those of you who are coming from your pagan past, it no longer rules and controls your flesh. You now, through faith in Jesus Christ, through dependence on the Spirit, can begin to live in a different way. And the list is not about how you dress. The list is not about how often you go to church. The list is this core character realities that should define followers of Jesus Christ. Paul sums up the whole point of the letter, I think, really well in verses 13 through 15 of chapter 5. He says, For you have been called to live in freedom, not freedom just to do what we want, but freedom actually becomes in the context of community that we love and serve the one another around us. For you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. It's a twist on freedom. This freedom actually serves one another. For the whole law can be summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So let me catch you up real quick to where we were a couple of weeks ago. We talked about love and joy. And love is this word agape. It's joyfully serving others for their good, not for something we get in return. When we're truly depending on the life of God inside of us, that is what love looks like. Not our satisfaction, not what we want, but truly serving the other person for their good. And joy, this Greek word car, is this. Finding hope in the beauty of God in our relationship with Jesus, even, finding joy even in times of loss and disappointment and pain. You've been around a joy-filled Christian. You've seen them going through the worst of times and yet still have this profound joy that just, not a fake happiness, but this profound joy that comes out of who they are. So the fruit of the Spirit reminds us that it is not about what we do. I was telling one of, in one of our meetings this week, if we get to the end of the Fruit of the Spirit series and you are sitting there thinking, well, I'm going to work harder to be more loving. I'm going to work harder to be more joyful. I'm going to keep working harder to be, go down the list, peace and kindness. We've missed the boat. We've completely missed the boat because the point of this series is that we can only live in this way because of the grace that has come into us. Amen? That's the whole point of it. It's not about working harder. You can't be loving in the way that Jesus was loving. You can only be that when God comes to live inside of you. And so the idea is that his grace is sufficient. is not just about getting to heaven. But it's a reminder that when our eyes are so fixed on Jesus Christ, that this is the way in which we live. We talked a little bit about the word fruit, and I think it gave, gives us two ideas, and we'll jump into the idea of peace here in a second. But the, the idea of fruit is, is sort of two things. One, it's a reminder that it's about God's presence in us. 
It's about something that's coming to bear from within, not something we're producing. The other intriguing part is that it's in the singular. I used to always say the fruits of the Spirit because it's, it it's a whole list. Paul is so about the unity of the body of Christ that the singular fruit is because it's all about the relationality of how we do life together. When God is truly in us, when we're depending on the Spirit, this is the way we treat each other because if we treat each other this way, we're naturally going to go out there and be people who live this way. And that's the whole point of it. That it's not, we, we said it's not like a Christmas tree that looks good for a month and then withers and dies. It's, it's a fruit tree that you plant in the right soil and you care for and year in and year out. It produces the right kind of fruit. I think Paul says it well in Philippians 1 verse 11. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. The righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. By Je not by you, by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. And so we read the passage, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the, fruit, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, and peace. So we're going to sit with that word peace this morning. The New Testament word for peace is irony. The Old Testament, you've heard this word often, is shalom. These two words are directly connected in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word for peace was shalom. And it is this general word that means a state of wholeness or unity. It's about restored relationships. They say it has a wide range of nuances. Listen to this. It's about fulfillment, completion, maturity, soundness, wholeness, harmony, Tranquility, security, well-being, welfare, friendship, agreement, success. See, I think the definition of peace, if you just take the word for what it is, and we're going to look at some other passages that connect to it, but if you take the word for what it is, I think the definition for peace is this, being in right relationship with God and others. Like, Brad, that's, that's too simple. It's simple until we start living it out, Right? Like being in right, restored relationship with God and the people around me. That's, that's called the day-in, day-out battle, struggle of doing life. Shalom is when things were, when there was a relational wholeness amongst the people of God. It points towards the end of Scripture when there is this relational wholeness, when God comes back to make all things right. When things are as they should be. That is peace. When God is residing inside of us, we live relational rightness towards God and other people. Let me say this. All of these, by the way, some of you may go home and say, I'm going to submit to the Spirit today and then I'm going to live out the fruit of the Spirit 100%. I'm going to be perfect. It's not about perfection. It's about the process of submission. Of letting God really reign and rule through us. Listen to some of these passages about our relationship to God and peace. Isaiah 9.6, one of the great prophetic passages. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 52 verse 7 says, How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of the messenger who brings good news, the good news of peace and salvation, the news that the God of Israel reigns. 
Jump forward to the Gospels. John 14, 27 says, I am leaving you a gift. And this is the whole chapter about the Holy Spirit. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. Acts chapter 10, this is the message of the good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. I love Romans 5, 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. By the way, it's intriguing. Jesus produces peace in the exact way that we normally would think about producing peace. Jesus produces peace by dying you get a sense of how to be people of peace when you can look to the cross and understand what Calvary love is really all about. Romans 14, 7 says that, 14, 17 says this. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. See, peace is about having a right and restored relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I heard someone say once that we, all humans, are created with a God-sized hole. And we struggle to fill it with all, we try to fill it with all different types of things, right? We try with success, we try with drugs, we try with money, we try with alcohol, we try with trying to make our kids be all that they can be. We do all these different things to be fulfilled, to be at inner peace. It's my opinion the only way to have true inner peace is through a trusting relationship with what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. That there's an actual living God that came down, lived, died, and rose again so that you can be restored, so that you can have that whole field. That's part of what shalom is. Shalom in Genesis 1 and 2 was God simply walking with his creation. And God wants to be with you. God wants to fill that God-sized hole. Listen to some of these passages about our relationship to others. So I think peace is, is those two things. It's God and others. Romans, or Psalms 120, verse 6. I love this verse. I am tired of living among people who hate peace. It's going to become my family verse for the next four years with preteens. Isn't that just a great verse? And it points to the tension we talked about at the beginning. Like, we want peace. We want to live that way. When we have peaceful relationships, it's good. But we're so drawn to strife. We're drawn to being that type of person. And we need a verse like this that just sort of wakes us up and says, okay, stop it. Proverbs 17. Better a dry crust eaten in peace than a house filled with feasting and conflict. Some good imagery, isn't it? Better to eat really bad food, moldy wonder bread, than pizza from Dino's in a house full of conflict. It is. It is. Proverbs 14 says, A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. There's actually studies that prove this. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. A couple passages from James. It's James 3, 17 and 18. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy. 
and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And then here's verse 18. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Here's the challenge. We have a lot of us who would say on this side of the shalom, on the, this side of peace, we are at peace with God, but yet we produce a lot of strife in our life, huh? And can we just be really honest and say that is a biblical disconnect? If we are truly living in dependence upon the Holy Spirit, we are at peace with God. We have that right, restored, trusting, faith relationship with God through what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that produces right and restored, peace-loving relationships with the people around us. We need an amen after that. That's what we should be known for. And here's the crazy thing. You can't do it. The whole point of peace is I can't do it. It is this ongoing trusting my eyes are on Jesus Christ because only then, only through when I truly let the Holy Spirit be the one who leads and guides can I live as a person of peace in my church, in my home, in my neighborhood, whatever it might be. We love the word peace. Shalom, when things are right and good. Maybe the hardest fruit to really think about and submit to and and let be a part of us. Here's what I think is hard. I think it's hard to have inner peace in the midst of strife. I think it's hard to let the Holy Spirit be the one who's leading and guiding when we see strife all around us, when we're producing strife. That's hard, right? And maybe it's coming at you in different ways. That's hard. You want to know what I think is harder? Being peacemakers. Peace with God and and sort of trying to be peaceful in relationships. That's hard, really hard. Is stepping in and being a peacemaker. One of my favorite stories, you, you've heard this verse from me a few times, but it's the disciples. After Jesus has died, good king is not a good, or a dead king is not a good king. In chapter 20, verse 19, it says this. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And what's intriguing about this story is Jesus comes in and not, not, not just to say, hey, have peace. Now you have a right and restored relationship with me. Let's eat and have fun. But he comes in to give peace to people who are cowering in fear so that they then, within days of this, Jesus spends the next 40 days with them, teaching them about the kingdom of God, Acts chapter 1 says. And then after that, they go to start the church. They go to become the peacemakers. And some of them die. I think peace may be the most challenging fruit to really let come out of us because we know it comes at a price. And we know the opposite, the opposite of peace, that worry, that anxiety, that fear, it's it's so normal. 
It's so normal to who we are and how we live. We're just like the disciples. And we, we lean into the worry and the anxiety and then we suddenly become, sort of like Paul is talking in, in, to the church in Galatia, we become like the law types. Worry and anxiety drive us and so we become, we've got to be right all the time. And being right all the time destroys relationships, produces strife. Or we're like the flesh, we're like the pagans who had come to faith in Jesus Christ and we're drawn towards this life in the, in the flesh and we use relationships for our own good, our own pleasure. And Paul says, if you have your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the one who has forgiven you, the one who wants to lead and guide you, the one who gives you life, the one who dwells in you, if your eyes are fixed on that, if you're submitting to that, you're going to be a peacemaker. You're going to be at peace with God. And you'll be one who brings peace into the relational world in which you live. Is your life so focused, so intently on Jesus Christ, on what God has done for you, that people would say peace is just a normal way in which they live? They bring a sense of things are going to be okay in the work environment. In their neighborhood, they're not the people gossiping and bringing strife and worrying anxiety. They're the ones restoring relationships. Problem is with me, I'm not sure about you. When I look out the window at that dad yelling and berating his kids and upset with his wife, I'm so annoyed by it because it's so me. Strife and turmoil, apart from what God has done for me in Jesus Christ, is where I will go every time. And so we ended two weeks ago the same way I'm going to end today. Ephesians 5.18 says this. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Friends, and the, the, the word for be filled is this ongoing again and again and again. It doesn't mean you need to be saved again and again and again. What it says is if you're going to truly live out this type of life, this type of character, the fruit of the Spirit, then it is sometimes a minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, submitting control of you to the presence of God inside you. And it's then and only then that any of us will have the chance to be peacemakers, that we submit to the Spirit, we follow the Spirit's lead, and let me say this, I encourage you this week, because I believe, I believe God is in any, anybody in this room that is following Jesus Christ. When God speaks and nudges you towards being more at peace with him and others around you, listen and follow. Listen and follow. Jesus, I pray, Lord, as we leave this room, God, 
for anybody in here that's wondering about being at peace with you, God, I pray that they would put all their faith and trust that they can conjure up into what you have done for them, how you have loved them. And they would turn away from all other ways in which they're trying to fill that hole and trust that you alone bring peace. And then God, by your power, not through what we're working and trying to do, but by your power. I pray that we would walk out and be known as people who bring peace. Amen.